guys. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus on Tuesday, May 30th. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. After what was a very dramatic weekend, Herc, on both sides of the ocean. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I came in in my Forward Madison retro kit. Thank you to good people in Forward Madison. Very well done. The little piñata boombox, if you will. Very delicious package. Uh, and you obviously lost your bet. You came in a Chivas jersey. <laughs> no, but I am, I am retro. Oh. Little 1994 throwback. Look at that. Throwback. My mini Tab Ramos. You love that. Uh, you love that. All right, uh, lots to get to on this show. We will, of course, be recapping the incredible second leg of the Liga Mekis final from Sunday night. Uh, Tigres getting the victory there over Chivas. We're also going to be checking in on Europe. We had some Americans involved in title races, in relegation races. We'll also check in on the uh, Mexican contingent in Europe as well. At the under-20 World Cup, Herc, the U.S. is going to the quarterfinals. We're going to talk to Josh Weiner, who got the start and played the full 90 against mm -hmm. New Zealand as they won in the round of 16. We also have a CONCACAF Champions League final coming up this week, Herc. First leg kicking off tomorrow in Mexico between Leon and LAFC. But let's start with Tuesday's breaking news. That's right. U.S. men's national team has a new manager, Herc. Sort of. U.S. Soccer announcing earlier today Anthony Hudson is leaving his post as interim coach to be replaced by B.J. Callahan, a longtime U.S. assistant under Greg Berhalter. Hudson will reportedly be taking a club job in the Middle East. Callahan, meanwhile, will get the Nations League and Gold Cup this summer. Hudson finishes his five-game run in charge with a 2-1-2 and record. Herc, ahead of a busy summer, how big of a setback is this for the U.S. program? Yeah, it's a setback for sure. Um, we'll, we'll get into B.J. Callahan in a second, but mm -hmm. what kind of offer must have came on the lap of Anthony Hudson for him to say, I don't want the opportunity to coach a national team in two competitions over the summer. Mm. What would he have thought of his chances there or the status of the pool in this summer's competitions for him to say, you know what? I don't even want to take the chance of my stock going up anymore. This is a good enough offer in the Middle East that I want to go with this. I'd rather do this than see where two national team competitions can take me. So that's worrisome for me, right? Right there. And, and the man stepping into this, BJ Callahan, he was, if you will, he's the assistant to the assistant, right? It's office level type of meme. So he was tapped as the assistant coach and strategy analyst under Greg Berhalter. And here with Anthony Hudson, he was his number two. He was the assistant to Anthony Hudson. So anytime there's a change for players, there's an adjustment. And we spoke about this with Anthony Hudson. The players, will they view him more than just a caretaker? Now you're heading to competitions. You're heading to competitions this summer, too, with players, a lot of whom aren't at a great level, are coming in abysmal form, club form. Some just got relegated. Some may get relegated. Some are in the worst form of their career. Some are for the first time going through, through things, excuse me, that they've never gone through before. How will they respond to an assistant caretaker? This is just adding on to the case. If there was whispers, murmurs uh, uh, of where this program was at, if there was any doubt 
of if they were favorites or not. I don't see them favorites heading into either of the summer tournaments. So it's interesting. You see this as an indictment almost on the quality of e not even the, the main job at U.S. Soccer, but even the interim job. Like you think if Hudson thought he had a shot to win, that he would stick around. I see it differently, Herc. Well, I think if you know just, you're the just, interim, Herc. Let me just, let me just but, really but quickly. But if you know you're the interim, Herc, why not take a job that's a, a job in hand? If you if you know you can go to the Middle East and have an opportunity, you're, you're obviously not going to stick around to, to just play out the play out the string. So let, let's just peel it back for a second, because I agree with you. And something in hand, and you you can't fault Anthony Hudson at all for taking mm -hmm. his chance. He parlayed the five games into what he could, made the most of it. He has the opportunity. Fine. But if Christian Pulisic was just coming off a stellar season, if the Leeds um, boys weren't relegated right. and they all participated, if Weston had a good loan, if Timothy Weah wasn't as a right back, if Yunus Musa wasn't fighting relegation and playing well, if, if all these different players like Giovanni Reina was having a good season, if Tim Ream was still healthy, you know, I, I don't know why. Mm -hmm. But I think this would be different. I think mm -hmm. Anthony Hudson thinks twice about this. He doesn't make the decision now. Because, quite frankly, how much would his stock go down if he lost these two competitions? He's the caretaker. He could still take the job after. Well, but, but if, you, if you think losing the competitions wouldn't hurt his stock, like how much would winning them help? He's already winning rehabilitated. It would absolutely help. He's absolutely. rehabilitated. Could his you imagine if he won both competitions? Oh, I don't think we're talking Middle East Club. I think we're talking something else. Okay, L let's focus on the guy who will be in charge, B.J. Callahan, because this is very interesting to me. This is a guy who, as you mentioned, was kind of the assistant to the assistant, right? Pretty far down the pecking order under Greg Berhalter. He's now going to get not just the Nations League hurt, but the Gold Cup as well. When you compare his resume then to Diego Coca, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a significant, significant disadvantage for the U.S. team in the Nations League semifinal specifically, isn't it? Absolutely. What coaching experience does he have at the professional level? His own coaching experience, him making the decisions, because you mm -hmm. could say, well, it's essentially the same thing. No, it's not. Was Anthony Hudson's style and approach different from Greg Berhalter's? Yes, it was. It absolutely How different? Was. How different? In, in everything. The, the way he spoke to the players, the way he mm. spoke to the press, the way he managed the team. He was a little bit more free-flowing, not as much, you know, uh, uh, handcuffs on the team. You have yep, to be. Yeah, we heard that. Yes. We heard that. It, so, well, you have to assume BJ uh, Callahan would like to make his own decisions, so we don't know what those decisions would be. Now, you mentioned Diego Coca, there's also John Herdman, there's, there's mm -hmm. quality coaches, Christensen, in this competition in the Final Four and also heading into the Gold Cup. Um, the way the players will view you, it is tricky. This tells me right now that U.S. Soccer is saying, we win or lose Nations League, we win or lose Gold Cup, that doesn't matter. What matters right now is we get it right. We get it right for the future. Is and, that the right approach? And that could be fair. And that yeah. could be fair. You are, in a, you are in a position of luxury because Mexico doesn't have that position. Mexico doesn't have that luxury. Diego Coca loses these two tournaments, he's probably gone. He's most likely mm. gone. They don't have the luxury that the U.S. does. So this tells me they're saying, you know what, this is in our best interest. We'll let it ride. We'll see what happens in these two competitions. And then we make the best possible choice going forward. If that's the case, which I hope it is, mm -hmm. great. But if you do all this to land on Jesse Marsh or to eventually land on Greg Berhalter, like, wow, that's when I would be really, what, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Do you think, this, do you think if, you're, if you're U.S. soccer and you've already got Jesse Marsh waiting in the wings, you now say, well, all right, listen, we were comfortable with Hudson going through the Gold Cup. 
B.J. Callahan, maybe not so much. No offense to B.J. Callahan, but he doesn't have an, even Hudson's resume. Do you then bring in Marsh for the Gold Cup and just, just get him in? If, you, if you're going to hire him anyway? Well, if you were going to hire him anyway, you would have done it, right? I mean, there, there's no going back on There's a now. difference between letting the interim and then the interim's of interim, course. right? Of course, Seb. Of course, Seb. But I think they're calling this these two competitions a wash. That's the only mm. thing that I can fathom, the only thing that makes sense, and they can mm-hmm. hang their hat on. Listen, that's important, but not as important as getting it right for 2026. And I will concede. Okay. Yeah. And you know what? About Mexico, I actually was looking at the, at the statement, the release from U.S. soccer, and they had a quote in there from Tim Ream. He said a couple of things very interesting. Quote, nothing changes. Messaging and ideas stay the same. If you're a U.S. fan and you're looking for hope, the, the one set of ideas that Greg Berhalter consistently got right, Herc, were his ideas against Mexico. So if you're going to have the same ideas that Berhalter was putting out against Mexico, every single time he won up against El Tri, different coach then, he got the better of Tata Martino. So if it's the same game plan, at least June 15th against Mexico, you, you figure that could still work. All right, well, let's turn it around. What happens after when they face Canada in the final? How'd that go? We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Hey, but, but Greg, I mean, you, you can't argue Greg Berhalter's record against Mexico. And, and I don't no, think I BJ Callahan's too I different than Greg Berhalter. And, I don't think Hudson was that different. I don't know. That's being disingenuous to Greg Berhalter and what he did against those teams. And I'm being honest. Um, what I will say is, uh, and there's a quote in here from BJ uh, Callahan, he's a culture and glue guy, he calls himself. I take a lot of pride in making sure everyone feels connected to the team and is contributing to the culture of the group. I always viewed myself as the glue and someone who's supporting the message coming from the head coach. With two important competitions approaching this summer, he's talking about the culture of the team, right? Mm. Uh, he went on to talk about that, that culture and facilitating that culture like he did in the World Cup. There are those out there who would argue they didn't like the culture that was around during the World Cup. Mm. They didn't like what they saw out of the U.S. men's national team, the murmurs inside and the explosion afterwards, that culture within the group. There is also, to be fair, quite a few people who have said great chemistry within the group. Sure. So, two sides to every story. One of the players critically involved at the World Cup for the U.S., Christian Pulisic. Of course, the uh, Premier League season coming to an end over the weekend. Chelsea finishing 12th after their 1-1 draw against Newcastle. Uh, Pulisic did play. Came on in the 88th minute of this game. Much speculation. It may have been his last in a Chelsea shirt. Mark Ogden's actually reporting that Juventus now leading the race to sign Pulisic. Here's Augie earlier on ESPN FC. Well, it's, it's likely that he's going to leave. I, I think he won't be one of the first out of the door. I mean, he's not had the best last couple of years, has he, Pulisic? He's had injuries. He's not had the faith of managers that have been there. And I think... He was booed onto the pitch at the weekend in the last game of the season against Newcastle, so the fans have obviously made their mind up about him. Wow. So I think, I think Pulisic, you know, he, he needs a move now. And I think what I was told is that he's been offered around quite a few clubs. I think Man United have been contacted, Newcastle, AC Milan, Galatasaray, Napoli. But I've been told that Juventus are more interested than most, and I think that they can do the deal. They're, they're losing, I think, Quadrado and Di Maria as out of contract this summer. So Pulisic would come in and, and bolster their attacking line. I think. You know, £20 million nowadays is not that much of a fee for a player that's got Champions League experience and he's got Premier League experience. And I think, you know, his wages might be an issue, but, you know, I think Pulisic to Juve is a good move. I think it, it suits Juventus, it suits Pulisic, suits Chelsea. And I think he, he needs a move, though. He needs, he needs to get away from Chelsea. It's not really worked for him. Herc, Juventus, is that the move for Christian Pulisic? You know, normally I'm like, just get out, because you saw the graphic there. You, mm-hmm. you saw the stats. I mean, every year for the last three years, he's played less games. Um, Augie just told everyone he was 
he got some jeers, he got some boos on his way out, you know, or he was about to be called in, I should say, into that match. So Christian Pulisic needs a change of scenery. Juventus, Juventus, excuse me, is an interesting, interesting team. I don't know if I like that team for him. Yes, there may be a lot of player turnover there, Cuadrado and others leaving. There could be room for him if they find a way to reduce that salary because 20 million, yeah, that's a bargain, but not the 13 plus he makes a year, right? Yeah. That's not a bargain. He's gonna take a massive wage cut to go to Serie A, to go to a team like Juventus. And that's a team that tactically, I've got my doubts about hmm. with, with the coach, with Allegri, the system, uh, the, the way he's sort of held certain players hostage is not something I would look forward to for Christian Pulisic. Now, if you had to be mentally tough in a situation like Chelsea in Serie A with a system or a situation as volatile as Juve, I don't know if that's the ideal scenario for him. Hmm. So... You're talking tactics. To me, it's more about the organizations themselves. Like, if we talk about Chelsea and the lack of stability there, it being a dumpster fire, how different yeah. is the situation that you're going to at Juventus? I don't want Christian Pulisic to trade one dumpster fire for another, and this kind of feels like that, Herc. So for me, um, it's not really all that good. I'm wondering if actually you might be disappointed that he's not getting another crack at Chelsea because now Mauricio Pochettino's coming in, and that's a guy who I think could get a tune out of Christian Pulisic. Maybe. Maybe, because you've seen him get the better of some very young players in a time, uh, at Tottenham, right? Dele Alli did very well there. Obviously, Harry Kane is on a different level, but you can see him giving the confidence of players like Son. Uh, very good players, yes, mm -hmm. but at a very young age, gives them that confidence and they've done well. That could be a system that he thrives in, absolutely. But the situations just become so toxic. Um, it's become one where if I were Christian Pulisic, no matter what, at all costs, I would look to leave. Christian Pulisic's a talented player. Christian Pulisic has a, a lot of things going for him. Staying at Chelsea, it just seems like too much baggage. It seems like there's too much water under the bridge. It makes no sense for me, regardless of who the coach is. You mentioned the uh, 20 million. The 20 million pounds is what... Juventus is probably going to end up paying for Chelsea. That's kind of what Chelsea's looking for. Chelsea paid 60 million pounds about for him when they bought him. And you mentioned the 13 million pounds. That's what his salary would be. So, yeah. so big salary there for Christian Pulisic, which limits who he might go to, right? Here's the list that you heard there from Augie. United, Manchester United, Newcastle, Napoli, AC Milan, Galatasaray. Any of those stand out to you more than Juventus? Uh, United and Newcastle. And now, very quickly on his salary and the sale, all that means squats six months from now. Because his contract ends in, in a year. So six mm -hmm. months from now, excuse me, he can negotiate a free transfer and he's gone. So uh, they really have to ramp up and also play ball to get him somewhere. No Champions League? How big a deal would that be for you, for Christian Pulisic? Was he playing I mean, he Champions have League it at, this year? Yeah, he wouldn't have it at Chelsea, but he wouldn't have it at Juventus. Do you want to see him in a Champions League club? I think a lot of American fans would. I don't care. I want to see Christian Pulisic playing. If I'm, if I'm a U.S. fan, I want to see him playing. Because Not at the highest level? Isn't Champions League kind of the goal? Isn't, isn't Christian Pulisic, of all the American players, shouldn't he be a guy in that competition? He's, your, you he's, should he's be the guy that's the carrying field. the flag. That's what you should strive for, being on the field. Listen, he wasn't getting championships, uh, Champions League games um, to begin with. This is a player that needs, needs that confidence back. He's a quality player. He is a Champions League player, but after the abysmal year that he had at Chelsea, not just him, that Chelsea yeah. and he was part of, just go elsewhere, regain that form, know that there are bigger and better opportunities, maybe not platforms, because Chelsea is a massive platform. All right, let's keep it in the Premier League, but go, if you can imagine, 
even further down the table. Because, Herc, that's where we find Leeds, who wish they were in 12th. Instead, Leeds fighting for their lives on Sunday, and it uh, did not go well. They lost 4-1 to Spurs. Weston McKinney played the first 60 minutes. Was subbed off. Brendan Aronson came on for the last 30. The 4-1 defeat, coupled with Everton's win against Bournemouth, leaves Leeds 19th. They are headed to the championship, Herc, and everybody is piling on. And when I say everybody is piling on, I mean everybody, including our good friends over at the ESPN FC Twitter account. That's right. Here's their tweet just moments after Leeds were officially relegated. Quote, the Leeds USA experiment hasn't gone well, end quote. They point out that uh, Jesse Marsh was sacked in February. The club spent around 50 million bucks on Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson. They also mentioned Weston McKinney's deadline day move. Herc, U.S. men's national team Twitter didn't like this. Are you cool with it? No, it's not that I'm cool with it. I, I find it. This is actually your account, isn't it? Admit it. Yes, you have the password. You're I, I part time the password. admin. People need yeah. to realize, like, ESPN Social and ESPN Say it, Studio say it. Shows, we have nothing to do with this. We've got nothing yeah. to do with this. And they do this for engagement. And look at us. Here we are engaging yep. in said post. This is the same reason why when we do something, all of a sudden it doesn't end up on ESPN FC's YouTube. If we're talking about Christian Pulisic or we're talking about something where they think there's going to be a reaction, it ends mm -hmm. up on the ESPN UK YouTube. And, and the numbers are decent, but the interactions are out of this world. <laughs> they know what they're getting into. Yeah. They know exactly the drum yep. to keep hitting on. So, uh, listen, it's a nerve, yes, mm -hmm. and they do it for engagement. Leeds didn't get relegated because of American ownership. That's money, right? You put in mm -hmm. people in charge uh, to help you with that. The I don't think the owner. I mean, the ownership's not even mentioned in this tweet. They're focusing on the on the players. Correct. And the and coach I'm getting that's to gone. that. Yeah. You know, there's a board. There's certain people who make decisions. Um, they're not American. It, it happens to be that this team of three Americans, two that you purchased, yes, and one that came in on a loan days before you fired the American coach, who by the way saved you last year. It just ha happens that a team, a very bad team, had American players in it. Tyler Adams, one of the standouts for you this season, gets injured and your statistics and everything automatically drop. A big reason why you went down, yes, it's the injury to Tyler Adams. It was an important totally. piece for you. Now, you mentioned Brendan Aronson, Weston McKinney. You mentioned, you know, uh, 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 Tyler Adams, uh, Jesse March. I didn't see anywhere Patrick Bramford. I didn't see anywhere, like, mm. did you see the... Big chances he missed, led the Premier League in. It happens to be the Americans because you know that's exactly the nerve you want to touch. That's a nerve you want to hit. This is a stain on their careers. Absolutely. Yes, because it's relegation. It's a stain on anybody's career for a relegation. But they're not the reason this team went down. Maybe it's the club. Maybe it's the players. Maybe it's the way it's been ran. Because with Marcelo Bielsa, it happened to be Jesse Marsh who came in and saved that. But who straightened the ship. It was the same thing. You were in problems before, and before that, and before that, and that's why you were in the championship before that. And it just so happens now that you're getting relegated, not because of the American players, but in spite of the American players. So he catches a stray in this tweet, but I think the person that actually comes out of this looking the best is Jesse Marsh. Not that 17th is some you know great spot on right. the table, but that's where they were when he was fired, and at least they were you know, not below or on the relegation line. And actually, at the time that he was dismissed, there was a pretty good chance, if you go off the analytics, the statistics, the numbers, that they would indeed stay up. They fell off a cliff 
after he left. As far as the players, Herc, I think that's where there's a little bit more of a case, specifically with Brendan Aronson. I mean, he's a guy who I think, especially for folks that watch this show, know how much we've hyped him up over the years. I thought he would do really well with Leeds in the Premier okay, League. Is he got the reason the he got, is, he, is Brendan Aronson the reason they got relegated? No, absolutely not. He's absolutely one of not. thousands of players who don't pan out in the Premier League. But, but they spent a lot of money on him, and he didn't pan out, and they are going down. Weston McKinney, they don't have the big financial commitment. I think he didn't pan out, and they're also going down because of partially that. Tyler Adams, I think, if anything, he can hold his hand up and they say, no, nah, no, nah. when, when Tyler Adams was on the field, that was our best shot at staying up. The one of the three that kind of intrigues me the most is Brendan Aronson because Weston McKinney, market. Tyler Adams, market. Brendan Aronson, based on what he did, I'm not so sure there's a market. I think we might be headed towards a Josh Sargent situation, a guy who's going to have to play his way back into the national team from the championship. Yeah, it's going to be difficult as well. Um, there are reports of a release clause mm -hmm. in that relegation for Brendan Aronson. That don't mean anything. <laughs> right. All that means is like they're not, they're not making a, you a free agent. Yeah, they're not a, cutting you loose because they got relegated. You're still their asset. Yeah, there's a certain yeah. number that needs to be hit for that asset to be let go. And if not, you're going to the championship. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if that's a great move for Brendan Harris in the championship. One of the things mm. he struggles with most is physicality. You're going to be in store for a lot of that in the championship. So it could be a, a, a very a long season if he ends up there. Um, for Brendan Aronson. But listen, Brendan Aronson isn't the first player that it didn't go well for, uh, regardless of nationality in the Premier League, regardless of a first time in the Premier yep. League. I could name off names. You're like, well, those are, you know, uh, those are anomalies. It's never happened. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne when he was at, at Chelsea, Mohamed Salah, uh, you know, Lukaku. Uh, who else are we missing from there? I'm sure there's somebody else. Yeah, all many, these, many, many names. Many, many yes. names. So it happens. He just happened to be an American, and it's a nerve. And not for nothing, Josh Sargent played his way onto the World Cup from the championship. So the championship isn't a place, you know, where you're totally Different forgotten. Different players. Different players. You're totally forgotten at the, uh, at the international level. So the Premier League season, Herc, is over. The FA Cup, ah, there's still one game to go. Manchester City, Manchester United, the FA Cup final. This coming weekend, coverage begins at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time on the third on ESPN Plus as well as ESPN2. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Well, the pressure now is almost unfathomable. 131 Coventry games, no goals. days ago and now you are officially a Premier League player you only know winning you only know getting promoted you did it with Forrest as well now here with Luton talk to me about what it means this time because you had such a big part to play in this yeah I think that's the biggest thing you know even though I came on the pitch for a bit last last game um, to play I think it was 50 this was my 52nd game for Luton today um, so like in that in that aspect of it and then you know to do the warm-up knowing you're gonna play the walkout like um, yeah, it's a special moment. Mentally, how much of a madness was that game for you? Yeah, I mean, first half we were all over them. Uh, second half they were all over us, and then um, you know the momentum kind of to switch at the end of the second half. We were we were getting the chances and on top of them. Um, and it's like credit to Rob, you know, it's like uh, and the boys. It's like in the extra time, all the tactics and all the formation, and all that. Blah, blah, blah goes out the window, you know, it's about who wants it more, who wants it more, who wants to get to the Prem, who wants to fight through the pain, and um, yeah, we luckily we came out on top. And for a moment there, we thought you, you picked up a niggle, we were fretting for you for a little bit, but you fought through everything. Yeah, uh, I know it wasn't just me, I know the other boys were fighting through stuff, um, you know, I could do everything except one thing, and I was just said, I gotta get through it, and um, uh, yeah, I'm a bit speechless about what's happened today. No, as you should be, and I hope you get to celebrate. What are you going to look to celebrate? I know you told me your family's here. Yeah, no, just take it easy with uh, family here. Family and friends are here. Uh, don't know what's going on, but just whenever I see them, just take it easy. It's been a, it's been a hard day today. Well, we've been talking to a couple of the fans, and in terms of surviving the Premier League, I know you need to chill, relax, and then focus on that come next season, but everyone feels like you guys have what it takes because you're true scrappers. Um, do you think that's a, that's a huge part um, in what's to come? I think so. Um, I mean, if we're playing at the Kentney or what's going on there, like that's a stadium like no other, you know, it's an incredible stadium. I mean, this is football, anything can happen. Um, and I know as a team in each game, like whatever the media says, is, it is what it is. But I know with this team, uh, every single game, they're going give it, to give it their all and fight, fight for each other. Imagine that, Erling Holland at the Kenny. Yeah, bring it on. It's going to be lit. Bring it bring on. It Congrats on. again. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Perfect. Luton Town and Ethan Horvath winning the promotion playoff over Coventry City. Horvath with a couple saves in the final there as Luton Town punch a ticket to the top flight of English football for the first time in 31 years. For those keeping track at home, that's three promotions in six years for Luton Town. They were in the National League where Wrexham is, or was, just a short decade ago. Incredible story there for Ethan Horvath and Luton Town. To the Bundesliga, where the title race came down to the last day of the season. Dortmund needing a win against Mainz to finally pry the title away from Bayern Munich. And it didn't happen. Uh, not because of Gio Reyna's efforts. He came on as a sub with his team down and helped set up a couple goals, Herc. Yeah, I... <laughs> 
The first one, good combination play, just ridiculous give and go and then finish. Second one, a little fortunate off his head, right place, right time, he'll get that second assist. But it was just it's a little too much. I mean, you're at home versus mine who comes winless in the last four, and all you need to do is, is pick up this win, and, and you got in the bag no matter what happens. Finish tied 2-2, Bayern beat Cologne 2-1. Sebastian Aller missed a penalty in the game, so heartbreak there for Dortmund as Bayern win an 11th straight Bundesliga title, and afterwards, Gio Reyna in his feelings, and you can understand why, on Instagram. Dortmund losing out on the Bundesliga title on goal difference to Bayern Munich. Perk, let's focus in on Gio Reyna. Is Borussia Dortmund still the right fit for the young American? You know, ideally I'd say yes, because he's still a young player, he still needs to develop, but something is going on. Something is going on because we were sold this idea of them saying, well, we want to keep him fit. He's still not physically there, right? And then he's there, and then he's not playing. No matter what, he's not getting any game time. But when we see him, it's evident that you need to give him more game time because he's productive, important goals, assists, important moments and shot creation for you in all different types of varieties, whether it's set pieces, outside the box, getting on the end of things, creating, you know, giving goes, being facilitator, and he doesn't play. And yet when your neck's on the line, when your back's against the wall, he's the guy you call on? Like, that's literally what happened here? If I'm Gio Reyna, I'm asking myself some serious questions. I'm asking questions of the coach. I'm asking questions of management. I'm asking myself if I really want to be here because at Gio Reyna's age, I want to play. Yeah. He's proven to have the chops at this level to play. Go somewhere to play. So if I'm Gio Reyna, I'm doing everything possible to get these solutions. What needs to happen for me to play here or mm. elsewhere? Yeah. You say his age, it feels like he's been around forever. He, he is only 20, but this is, you know, now four full seasons basically at Dortmund, and he's not making the breakthroughs. And if you look at his position, look, Dortmund's a great scouting club at all positions, but it, it feels like both in scouting and then in development, that's the position they do best. It's not one or two guys on the roster that he's fighting with week in and week out. It's three four, five players, plus another guy coming out of the academy. So to your point, even when he's productive, there seems to be no real guarantee that Gio Reyna is going to get minutes at Dorman. If he has this meeting with the Dorman executives and they, and they give him the same answer that he's gotten the last few years, which is, well, we think you're going to play, but he doesn't really buy it. Where should he be looking, Herc? Where would you like to see Gio Reyna? Don't just give me a league. Maybe throw a team in there as well. Whew. Sevilla? La Liga, Ooh. I think that'd be a good one. Uh, I, I don't see him go anywhere else in the Bundesliga. Like, what could be mm -hmm. the equivalent of a Dortmund? You're not going to go up. You're not going to go to Bayern Munich, right? Yeah. So I want to see him go so elsewhere. I think La Liga would be a very good league for him. Uh, technical ability, offensive third, some very proactive play. Yes, but if I'm Joe Reyna, I'm thinking to myself that over the years, I've seen the likes of Dembele go. I've seen the likes of Erling Holland. I've seen the likes of Jaden Sancho. I've seen the likes of now Jude Bellingham, who's going to go to Real Madrid. And I'm, talking, I'm thinking to myself, like, what's going on here? I'm supposed to be one of those likes moving on. So there's some questions to be asked. Still got a contract through 2025, Gio Reyna at Borussia Dortmund. Speaking of Dortmund, they are in the market. Maybe not shopping Gio Reyna, but looking to add some bite in midfield, and it may well, Herc, be somebody from this part of the world. That's right. Edson Alvarez, according to reports in Germany, in fact, personal terms already have been agreed upon. 
between the Mexican International and Dortmund. This would take the 25-year-old from Ajax in the Eredivisie to the Bundesliga. Ajax expected to ask for between 35 and 40 million. That's a part of the deal that still has not been worked out. Perk, what do you think? Is this the right next step for Edson Alvarez? Yeah, it may be the, the right next step for Edson Alvarez. I mean, he needs to leave Ajax, right? Um, he had a... <laughs> It's funny because I'm saying it may be the right step for him. Like, I could see it being the right step for him, but I, I can't but feel let down for him. Now, Why? Let, let me explain Why? here because we were talking about Chelsea and 50 million four or five months ago before Enzo Fernandez went to Chelsea. It was him. It was Edson Alvarez. And the offer was there, and it was Ajax who said no. And here he is going to a team in a top-five league, a league that's way, well above there at Divizie, who literally lost out on a championship due to goal differential. We just covered this, right? And I'm thinking to myself, like, ah, uh, yes, but it could have been bigger. It could have been better. Mm. Chelsea's a massive platform. I know there's a lot of problems there. I, I, I know it's a dumpster fire, if you will, but the platform that would be Chelsea for a player like Edson Alvarez, in the best league in the world, Chelsea, over the years, has been one of the best teams in the world. You cannot deny that. I just, for some reason, envisioned bigger grander for Edson Alvarez. So, yes, great move for him, but I couldn't help wonder, like, oh, that what if for him. I, if you're a Mexico fan, you got to feel really good about this, I think, right? Because we talked about Gio Reyna, Dortmund known for evaluating talent. If they think that Edson Alvarez is, is good enough for Dortmund, that tells you that, that they think he could be a very important player. They're going to have to replace Jude Bellingham. He is not replacing Jude Bellingham. No. Nope. But he is going to be part of the formula that would replace a hugely important player for this club. Here's the thing, Herc. Whatever they're spending on him, whether it's 50 million, 40 million, 30 million, on a 25-year-old player, if you're spending that much money, you are bringing him in to play, start, and have a huge role now. That's why I love this, because he's going to get a chance to fight for a title domestically. He's going to get Champions League football, not Ajax Champions League, which is like probably group stage and maybe knockout if they have a run. Dortmund, you figure they're going to be there in the knockout stages. So you get kind of back half of the season, real big-time Champions League games. I love this for Edson Alvarez. I think this is perfect, as opposed to going to a place like Chelsea where you would have had a lot more questions. I think you can look at Dortmund and say this is a much better run club. You would agree that Dortmund's the club that gets you to that club I'm talking about, right? And he was on the cusp of that, top, that club I'm talking about. That's where I'm going here. So yeah. for Edson Alvarez, you, it's just like, it's 25. That window's closing. He's not getting any younger, and he's a very good player, and he's got a lot of things going for him. He's obviously very versatile. He can play as a defensive midfielder or center back. I think that's what makes him attractive to a lot of these big teams. How much do you think the World Cup, and specifically not starting against Argentina, factors into not just, A, the price, but, B, the locale? Because there was a ton of Premier League interest, we remember, back before the World Cup. Ooh, not ask, just Chelsea. Ask Enzo Fernandez and, and McAllister uh, mm. about that. Uh, the World Cup isn't the best football in the world, but it's the best showcase in the world. That's, that's the difference. Here you go. The echoes of Tata Martino will be felt across Mexican football uh, for some time to come. Still, Dortmund, not a, a bad landing spot by no, any means. No, not at all. For Edson Alvarez. Let's go to Spain. Uh, Cesar Montes playing for Espanyol. Here's the good news. He scored over the weekend in a 2-2 draw against Valencia. What do you think, Herc? Yeah, man. You know what? He's had a good season. Second goal of the season. A shame that Valencia comes back and uh, third goal, excuse me, and, and ends up tying this one. But he's been solid. This is a player with size, uh, decent speed. He's like 6'3", you know, decent touch, good vision, can get on the end of things. 
I think he's a very good player. So to see him, go, see him goes to down, excuse me, in his first season, uh, that's a major blow. Yep, Espanol and Montes relegated with uh, one game still left to play. They got Almeria on Sunday, but 19th in the table. And he's not the only Mexican defender, by the way, that got relegated. No, Johan Vasquez and Cremonense, they're heading down in Italy, also 19th place. They're going to wrap up their season against Memocho and Salernitana. All right, Herc, two of Mexico's top center backs have been relegated. Something, nothing, or everything for El Tri. I wish I could split this one up. I really do. Because I okay. think there are different categories. I don't want to put Cesar Montes in the same category as Johan Vasquez because I think it's it. very unfair. Do it. Start, start with Montes then. Go ahead. Uh, this is something. It, it, it's a bump in the road. Um, okay. People need to realize when you get relegated, the other side to this is you take a massive hit. You're worth less. You're worth less. You're not worthless. You're worth less. Okay? <laughs> um, what your wages once were... Take a pay cut. 30% Can I cut you off will. there? Is, is, I know that there's some places where that used to be like that. Is it really still that way? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like all and these in guys' La Liga, contracts... You're not talking are... about parachute payments for Premier League clubs. I mean, La Liga, you, you can see the difference between the haves and have-nots. There's a massive difference there. So Cesar Montes, who's, I believe, 24 years of age right now, very good center back. That's a massive investment they made. They need to recoup that investment to let him go. If not, he needs to help them come back up. That's going to be a, a major, you know, uh, concern going forward. 26, excuse me. So even more with one year of European experience. I think he's a very, very good center back. But this is definitely a stain. Now, the reason I want to separate the two is because Johan Vasquez, I've never been sold on Johan Vasquez. And, and now this is his second relegation. And, and, and while you and Mauricio Pedrosa wanted to sell him off as the next Rafa Marquez of the Mexican national team in that back line. <laughs> this is a true story. Why you guys wanted to sell him off as that and, ex and we're literally calling for him to start in the World Cup. Nobody has Remind put him. Remind me how great the Mexican center nobody, backs were in the World Cup. Nobody has put him on that list. Nobody. So I want to separate the two because I think this is a wake-up call for Johan Vasquez and the rest of those people who think he deserves time on the national team. And that's why I want to separate from Cesar Montes. I think Cesar Montes is an exceptional talent. Yeah. Exceptional talent. So I want to put him away from this something, nothing, or everything. But this is definitely something. It's everything for Johan Vasquez because he's not number two. But it's definitely something for the two because there are not a lot of European players uh, in the Mexican pool. So this is something. It's not great, Herc, because you've, you've got to look for work now. I think both of these guys are going to want to move, even if Espanol says, hey, Cesar Montes can help us, and even if Cremonense, he's on loan there, uh, Johan Vasquez from Genoa. But even if they say, you know, we want to stick around, I, I think, you know, you don't want to end up in the second division there as you look at these two teams. It's also not a very good reflection of the Mexican transfer market, because to your point about the hype around both these guys, look at where they ended up. Espanol at least has some pedigree, right? right? Um, right. But, but they're going down at the end of the day. It's not a massive club. And he came from a massive club in Rayados, at least by Mexican standards. And you look at Johan Vasquez, Cremonense, Genoa. I mean, these are bottom feeders in Italian yeah. football, no matter how you slice it. So if the, the best prospects from Mexico are ending up at teams where they're getting relegated, that's the problem. What I would also point out here, though, is team form doesn't necessarily have to correlate with player form, right? Montes is a better example of it than Vasquez. Montes has had, a, I think, Great season might be harsh, but you consider kind of the timing of his move and, and all that he had to do in terms of acclimation. He's done very, very well for himself. I think he'll have at least other first division interests probably in Spain. With Vasquez, it's a little different, but he also, Herc, started 18 games in Serie A. That's almost half the game. So this is a player who was getting some minutes. 
I think this is okay. I actually would not mind seeing both of these guys in the starting lineup against the United States. Real quick on Montes, because I think he's the more important of the two. Where would you want to see him go if he does leave Espanol and doesn't decide to to help them claw their way back into La Liga. La Liga. La Liga again. Got to stay in La Liga. Yes, okay. I think he did exceptionally well there. For okay. Cesar Montes. Individually. Then. Cesar Montes. And uh, hopefully to stay in La Liga after his uh, good individual season with Espanyol, although they are relegated to the second division. German Cup Final coming up this weekend. RB Leipzig against Eintracht Frankfurt. Available for you on ESPN+. Plus. Coverage starts Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Might we get a Paxton Aronson sighting? That's what we'll be hoping for. Don't miss the game. Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 Pacific, right here on Plus. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time warp, back to Sunday night. Second leg of the Liga Mekis final between Chivas and Tigres. Of course, the uh, first leg scoreless. Ten minutes in, Piojo Alvarado Herc does this. Yeah, Piojo Alvarado, he's been very good in the postseason. Puts it on his left foot, uses the defender right there to screen. Nahuel Guzman, side netting. Chivas up 1-0. They'd add a second here. Pocho Guzman. All alone. Yeah, I want you to see Pollo Briseño, the defender on the set piece. There's a screen here that Guzman takes advantage of. There you see the marker misses Guzman. Easy finish. Chivas up 2-0 into the second half. Pollo Briseño called for a handball here. We're going to the penalty spot. Andre Pierre Gignac does the rest. Oh, yes. Goal number 34 in his postseason career. This man loves the pressure. The second of the postseason. Tigres back into it. A few minutes after that, they make it 2-2. Sebastián Córdoba at the back post. Look at Alan Mosso. Look, 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 look at right there. He beats him, okay? But he's expecting watching him as the goalkeeper come out and get this ball. Look, you can see him pleading. So we go to extra time. Guido Pizarro, the second header off a deflection and in. Tigres up 3-2. Yeah, just pinball action. Look at this. Header right here from Córdoba off the line from Guzmán. It's going to hit Achiba's defender on the back and then just lob into the net. Tigres win by a final score of 3-2, their sixth Liga Mekis title in the last 12 years. Herc, what's the more appropriate headline here? Tigres won or Chivas collapsed? Well, it's always Tigres won. Okay, you got to give a credit to You're a right. team We are like on Tigres that. TV. We're no, on no, no, no. I mean, Tigres. It's a dynasty, if you will. But... Considering the circumstances mm. that Chivas is up 2-0 at home, 
and they blew this lead. And in the way, the fashion that they blew it, this is on Velko Panovic. I'm not gonna say Chivas, this is on Velko Panovic. Mm. Velko Panovic, and one could argue, because he made some very sketchy, suspect substitutions, taking Alexis Vega out, minute 63, I believe, around there. One could argue Alexis Vega wasn't productive this postseason. I'd argue he's not been productive in his whole career. That's not Alexis Vega, right? But what Alexis Vega does do is he keeps you very honest. What does Alexis yeah. Vega do very well? He's a threat. He's, he's a, threat. a threat. He's a threat to get in behind. He's a threat 1v1. Anytime he's on the field, you have to be mindful. If you're a defensive unit, you have to be mindful. So you can't take the same liberties. Once he's off the field, what's he going to do? Oh, no threat in behind us. You also are not playing with the nine anymore. You're playing with the false nine. Let me go ahead and make some adjustments and put the pressure on you. And that's when things went south for Chivas. Velko Panovic squandered this. Velko Panovic let go of this 2-0 lead. Allowed Tigres a very lethal team. The team of the, not even decade, it's a dynasty team. The last 12 years, six championships allowed this team back into this game. And then Tigres took over. If I was going to say Tigres won it, I would, I would feel like I'd have to feel that Tigres took every chance that they have. And Herc, André Pierre Gignac in this, not just second leg, but the entire final was not himself. He had, at least over the 180 minutes, what I would consider three clear chances Easily. that Gignac Easily. in his day buries. So if Tigres had done everything possible to win it all, if Gignac had finished two or three of those, then I would say, okay, you know, Chivas didn't lose it. Tigres went ahead and won it. But I'm with you. Paunovic is not only kind of too conservative by taking off Alexis Vega. And you know who else knew it is the, the directors that were, that were punching the game on television because they showed Alexis Vega on the bench about 10 times in the last half hour of that game. But on top of that, it's what Siboldi does. Now, I, I think maybe with Siboldi, he doesn't really have a choice, but he makes his two subs, Herc. He doesn't wait for the 55th minute. He doesn't wait for the 65th minute. He makes them at halftime. Yep. And he didn't just take off Vigon. He also took off Diego Lainez. And the two changes that he makes are critical to Tigres' turnaround because it felt like almost immediately the winds in the stadium had changed in that second half. So we can, we can point at Paunovic for being kind of too shy, but Siboldi, man, he came with the hammer in the second half. Wow. And he also had all that extra carne for the asador. That's yeah. that Tigres depth that he can just yeah, throw I, and I throw mean, and throw. That hammer is Thor's hammer. I mean, when he put in Nico Ibanez and, and Nico Lopez, yeah. those are two of his three ex-Golden Boot winners, the other one being Andre Pierre Gignac, mm -hmm. on the field. And not like in the past. I'm talking about the last four, I should say two years, two of the last four Golden Boot winners. So... He's got a lot more to offer right there. They're, they're a much more deeper team. But that's mm -hmm. not on Tigres, and that's not also on Velko Panovic. Nobody tells Velko Panovic to insert Pavel Perez in this game, and then 40 minutes later after he subs him, subs him back out, yeah. you know, for no reason. So there is a lot of mismanagement here, and the lasting impression I'll leave you with is Alan Mosso gets subbed out. And immediately, it pans to him. The camera pans to him, and he looks over at Panovic in the bench like, yes. what are yes. we doing? Yeah. What is going on here? Because you think of Mosa as a defender, but he's a player that gives you that attack. And, and honestly, I, I thought Chivas fans at the end of that must have felt like America fans felt at the end of the semifinal. The guys on the field are not the guys who are going to get us back in. Unbelievable. We're talking yeah. about the final and you bring up Club America. Yes, Unbelievable. That's right. Well, the, the team with the most title, it, it feels very fitting. All right. Well, we're not done talking about this final. Because after the game, Herc, there were some fireworks. Between Osvaldo Sanchez, of course, uh, ex-Chivas and Mexican national team great, who now works in television, 
and Diego Lainez. Here's their post-game exchange. Let's check it out. ¿Crees que fracasaste en Europa? Si sí o no, dime por qué. Si fracasó, no soy campeón ahora. Eso es lo importante. <risa> Sabe que si soy fracasado, aquí está el título. Dos títulos de Liga a los 22 años. All right, there's Diego Lainez and Osaldo Sanchez having it out on TV. And then uh, Lainez taking to social media to uh, continue the back and forth. Sigamos fracasando. We uh, keep on failing, he says very much tongue-in-cheek. Perk, this is very much a get lost, but I'm not sure for who. Last week I did for both. Mm -hmm. All right, remember that get lost with Ricky Pooch and Chiellini? Mm -hmm. This week I'm doing both again. Because there's plenty of get lost Who's to worse? go around. Who's worse? I think it's Osvaldo Sanchez here. Okay. Because you got to let the player have their moment here. That You got to let... You got to read the room, let it breathe, and go there. But Osvaldo Sanchez for asking very, very just random and kind of ugly question hold on, hold at the on. worst possible moment. It's not a moment. random question, Herc. It's not a random question. It it's is. Everybody wants to know about no, Diego Linus. No, it's a story of you're his celebrating, career. You're celebrating Diego's championship. You're celebrating Diego Linus's championship. You don't ask him what it feels like if he thinks he's failed in Europe. That's not the time nor the place. Now, there's a time and place for it. Sure, still a very... Very difficult question that you could frame a different way yeah. and, and maybe get a different reaction. But the reaction was because of how it was framed. So there's a get lost for Osvaldo Sanchez here for asking that question that was out of line. Yes, out of line. But there's also a get lost for Diego Linus because you answered the question with a white glove. Boom, boom. And then you went into the locker room and then you went into other, or other excuse me, uh, platforms, your social media, Twitter, your Instagram Live, uh, other interviews and you continued to be sour about it only drawing light to well wait a second guy what did you do what have you done because it wasn't until practically the postseason that you started playing for Tigres and remind people that you didn't score a single goal for Tigres this year and remind people that you make two million dollars net a year and remind people that it was your decision to go to Betis when you had IX on the table as well. When a lot of people said IX might have been a better decision. Remind people that it was your decision to go to a bottom feeder in Portugal and that didn't work out. Remind people that instead of saying, I'd like to stick it out, you came to the richest team or one of the richest teams in, in Mexico to continue to, to feed that wallet. So there's plenty of get lost to go around here, but then to continue to throw it out there on social media, like mm. you're like, hey, I'm going to keep rubbing it in your face. You were right, Diego. You don't need to do that. It's a get lost on all accounts for everybody involved here. Yeah, especially for a guy who got subbed off at halftime. Like, he wasn't even really part of the, the, the big comeback. So. Well, you're always part of the team, right? That, that's, that's the, but the thing is here, like, it, it's just it was wrong and out of line to do that. It, it's wrong and out of line to keep going this way because you're just drawing more attention to yourself. And, and if I'm Linus and it doesn't bother me, I'm not going on social media afterwards. I think it's, it's pretty clear that there's some insecurity there about what happened in Europe, right? I mean, that's really yeah. what, what you sense when you see the guy go on, I think it was both Twitter and Instagram, yeah? Absolutely. It's, it's exactly what it is. Diego Linus uh, upset, but at the end of the day, he's got a trophy. He's probably pretty happy when it's all said and done. What about the League's Cup? That's coming up next. Who do uh, Tigres and Chivas have respectively? Well, there you see their schedules. Tigres in a group with Portland and San Jose. Out of Major League Soccer, Chivas in there with FC Cincinnati and Sporting Kansas City. All right, Eric, let's head down to Argentina. Under-20 World Cup, round of 16. United States facing off against New Zealand. 14 minutes in, U.S. with the early goal thanks to Owen Wolf. 
It's a good slow roller. <laughs> Any goal is a good goal, right? You would have thought the goalkeeper would have had this. Uh, don't know how much pace it had on it. 61st minute, still just the one goal for the U.S. Kate Cowell gonna change that, 2-0. Yeah, Kate Cowell puts it on his left and the defender almost dared him to shoot. All right, I'm gonna shoot. Banger to the left. U.S. in cruise control, Diego Luna running the fast break ahead for Cowell. He goes around the keeper, puts it back across. Justin Che gonna hammer home 3-0. Hear me out for a second. Diego Luna giving me mad mini Cuatemo Blanco vibes. Oh, I love it. I love it. U.S. would add a fourth here with Rokas Pukstas as they win 4-0 through to the quarters. And joining us next here on Football Americas, one of the guys who was on the field in the 4-0 victory over New Zealand, Josh Winder. Actually played the full 90, got the start. Josh, congratulations on the win and welcome to the show. No, thank you guys for having me. So walk us through the victory today. 4 nothing. It looked like you guys were pretty much on cruise control right from the first half. Yeah, no, I mean, we had a, a game plan going into the game that we were going to try to dominate with the ball. And that just led to our goals coming maybe a little later than we expected, but they started flowing in in the second half. Let's talk, Josh, about those goals flowing in. Um, this team is a very good team, but if there's an Achilles heel or something that I could point out, it's that it's missed a lot of obvious chances. Uh, what's been the message by Mikey Varas and the coaching staff? No, just so we know the goals are coming. And, and when the goals come, we'll reach that next level that, that everyone knows we can reach. So it's just having confidence in ourselves and finishing the chances we get when they come. Uh, one of the goals that went in today came from Rokas Pukstas. Now he's, along with Kevin Paredes, one of these guys that joins kind of in the midway point of the tournament, what's it been like bringing those two guys into the team and what kind of impact do you think they could have? No, they bring, they bring different skills that, that we need for this tournament. And it just came out this game where Wilka uh, scores a goal, a big goal that we needed. So it, it helps us a lot to bring in guys that contribute right away. You know, Josh, it's funny that we're, we're seeing a team in the U.S. Youth National Team that scored 10 goals, won four games, and we keep talking about the offense, but you guys have allowed zero goals defensively. And that back line in the center of midfield and Gaga Slonina, you guys have been impressive. Uh, talk to me about your overall impressions, how you feel specifically maybe with Brandon Craig and, and what you guys have been able to establish back there. No, yeah, these guys have helped me a lot. Um, being a younger player coming in, I don't see that age as a problem or anything, but they helped me become the best player I can be. And we've had a great group back there, um, not giving up many chances and, Gaga's not uh, let one in yet, so we just got to keep doing that. Tell us a little bit about Gaga. What's it like playing in front of him? He seems like a guy that, that's pretty confident. I'm judging that a little bit based off his social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, Gaga's a great guy. I mean, he's a good leader, obviously a great keeper, but I think his personality just helps us elevate our team on and off the field. You know, I, I wanted to get in really quickly and just piggyback off of Gaga. It, it seems like you guys have a lot of natural born leaders out there and what i mean by that is like you don't have to wear the captain's armband to say something you guys are pretty vocal you guys hold each other accountable it seems like so far there's a good sense of accountability and responsibility within the group yeah no we have a very tight-knit group and it's a bunch of players that have been professionals for a while and know what knows what it takes to win games and and win tournaments so um, it doesn't matter if you're the captain, you can still speak up, um, tell people what you're feeling, what you're seeing, anything to help the team. What about your coach, Mikey Varis? He's a guy that not a lot of folks around American soccer know too much about. 
What's he like as a manager? No, he's a great manager. He keeps the team culture high, keeps us to a high standard, and his tactical uh, sense is amazing, which helps us in games when we don't know what, what to do. He'll, he'll help us win the game or figure out the situation that we're in. You know, it was 0-0 against Fiji at halftime, and I could mm -hmm. only imagine, you know, the head coach Mikey Varas in that position pretty much reaming into you guys, I'd assume, because I've been there in that position when you know you're not playing up to par. Was that the case at halftime, or am I kind of drawing too much into it? Because you guys came really fired up in that second half. Mm. Yeah, no, he, he definitely got into us a little bit to just tell us that we, we know we're better than we were in the first half, and we needed to come out the second half firing, and, and we did, which, which, I mean, a coach has to do sometimes, and it definitely, definitely made us play better. All right, let's look ahead at that bracket. I don't want to create any bulletin board material here, uh, but we see it's Uruguay and Gambia, I believe, uh, as your quarterfinal opponent now. So uh, what do you think about the bracket and kind of what's possible from here? Because you guys are 90 minutes and maybe penalties away from being in the semifinals. And I feel like, you know, once you get to the semifinals of a tournament like this, at that point, truly anything's possible. Yeah, no, I mean, we're confident. we have confidence in our, our team and coaching staff, so it doesn't matter who we play. We're just going to take it game by game and then hopefully hopefully, just keep doing our thing and win the whole thing. Josh, you aren't around for this, but the U.S. Youth National Team hasn't been to the semifinals of a U-20 World Cup since the 80s. That's back when Sebastian was a teenager. So, <laughs> so, so is, is there a sense now as you go on, obviously you don't want to look past opponents, but – it's getting awfully hard for the fans back here in the States mm -hmm. not to believe, especially if, after what they've seen from you guys. You've been so clean defensively and taken good chances offensively. No goals against so far and all wins. Are the players starting to believe? Yeah, no, I think we've been believing from the beginning. I mean, uh, we have a great group. We've, we've shown it so far in this tournament, and we just have to keep doing what we're doing, and, and we'll see how far it takes us. But we definitely believe here. We, just, we hope that people continue to believe at home. Josh, I want to talk a little bit about your career, your pathway, because we've talked about you quite a bit on this show, and I'm just curious about kind of your path through Louisville and, and, and USL specifically, kind of why that pathway seemed to work so well for you in your development. Yeah, no, it, it was perfect for me. I mean, I'm from Louisville, so having my family and friends at every game definitely helped me a lot, and it's just a, it's a perfect pathway for a player like me who's young to give me a lot of minutes that's giving me attention, which, I mean, is going to help me move on to the next step, whatever that is, which is my goal has been Europe ever since I was young. So just to, to go into Louisville playing, getting me minutes, getting me experience, it will help me move on. Josh, you've kind of changed the game because if I'm a young player out there and I'm weighing my options between Major League Soccer and elsewhere, I'm thinking to myself, hold on, here's a kid that went to the USL he went down that route and in less years got to the U.S. men's national team. You were in a camp and all of a sudden got signed by Benfica. You're, you're changing the game. So talk to me about changing the game. And then also, why Benfica? What made you want to choose Benfica? Well, that's, that's not, not what happened, really. I mean, Benfica is just rumors, you know. Um, but going into camp uh, with the men's team was amazing. I mean, getting the be around some of the guys I've looked up to ever since being young. Um, it's been amazing to learn from them. Being that camp, being the U.S.-Mexico rivalry was for sure, for sure a great experience. All right, there he is, Josh Winder. Got a big game on Sunday, quarterfinals at the Under-20 World Cup down in Argentina. Josh, great to have you with us here on Football Americas, and good luck over the weekend. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. CONCACAF Champions League Finals coming up this week. First leg Wednesday at Leon. Second leg Sunday in Los Angeles. LAFC, of course, beating the Philadelphia Union to reach the final. Leon beating the now champions Tigres. So what will it be? Two straight years of MLS winners? Well, we're not that far from finding out. But from the sounds of it, LAFC's Timothy Tillman, he's pretty confident. I think Mexican teams usually don't play that tactical. Um, it's more more or less emotional, very much 1v1s. Um, and yeah, it's all about fighting, uh, all about the emotions. Mexican teams, not that tactical, Herc. Shots fired. What do you make of them? This might have been a get lost. Um, it's, it's very, very comical um, that a league that he's referring to has over the years been a tactical league, if anything, a technical league, if anything. And the ignorance coming from that comment was likened to the ignorance that we have heard around here for many years of Major League Soccer. It's just physical. It, it, there's no tactics. It's, it's more fight. It's more grit, things like that. Yet here he is, a, a player that I assume has very little knowledge of Mexican football, probably didn't see a lot of it in Germany, referring to, in general, Mexican football. Mm. I know he's not seen all of Mexican football. He's probably seen whatever clips LAFC puts up of Leon. And Leon is a team that has be, happens to be coached by one of the better tactical managers in North America. But is a team that plays with intensity, and that may be its biggest strong suit. So maybe he's trying to piggyback of what he sees from Leon. And I've said this before, that LAFC is heavily favored here for me. Heavily favored. If you were to pick an MLS team right now and say, represent Major League Soccer in this competition, mm -hmm. most may say LAFC. I would agree with that. LAFC, hands down. Okay, sure, fine. If you ask Mexican pundits or Mexican fans, nobody's going to say Leon. It's not going to be your first choice, not your second choice, not your third choice, not your fourth choice, not fifth choice, probably not even your sixth choice. Yet here they are. And they're here 24 days of inactivity. And the only thing that they may have going for them is the emotional right now. And look what you've done, mm -hmm. Timothy Tillman. You've managed to give them bullets and board material. Here you go. Get fired up in Leon, in Guanajuato. Show us a Major League Soccer Club, because Major League Soccer Clubs have not done well mm -hmm. in their history in Mexico. Show us what you got. And now you put LAFC in a very unnecessary position. Ignorant comment, yes. Unnecessary position, even more. Hmm. What's weird about this is that it's the wrong stereotype. Right? If, if, if you were talking to somebody from CONCACAF 
and they said, which league is more tactical, MLS or Liga Mekis? Everybody, I think, would say Liga Mekis. Whether they were right or wrong, that's just kind of yes. what we assume. So this seems like the, the, the thought or the stereotype of somebody that's not from this part of the world, Herc, and it makes me wonder if that is what people think in Europe of Mexican soccer, that it's not that tactical, that it is just based on emotion. Because nobody from this part of the world would make that comparison. But clearly, here's somebody from Germany that when he thinks of Mexican teams, and maybe he does watch a lot of Liga Mekis, maybe he doesn't, he's saying they're not that tactical. Is that what the rest of the world thinks if of Mexican If I was football? a betting man, I would bet that Steve Chirundolo had a talk with the team and said they're a decent team. Tactically, they can be a little bit all over the place, but emotionally, they will compete, so you need to compete. And maybe it's lost in translation somewhere, because I guarantee knowing how Leon plays and that intensity, that may have been the message. His response of generalizing is very rich. Now, this is your player that you have pegged in the U.S. men's national team as one of the players to follow. 24 years of age, four or five years in the Bundesliga, uh, now going to face uh, a league, and now Leon wouldn't be my first choice, but one of the, the premier leagues in this region. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Good step up for Tillman, a good test indeed. We do have the first leg. At Leon tomorrow night. I think it's a 10 p.m. Eastern yes. time start. So let's uh, give the folks at home something to play on Wednesday, we Herc. What do you got? I got uh, both teams to score at plus 150. I don't think this is going to be a draw. I already told you about Major League Soccer's uh, abysmal record, but Leon isn't that great. I told you how much I favor LAFC in this matchup. I think they are heavily favored. I think it'll be actually a fracaso if they don't come away in the series. They can lose this game. Uh, Leon can win this game, vice versa. I don't think it'll be a draw by any means. So at plus 150, I like the odds of this. 24 days of inactivity for Leon. Wow. Okay, so plus 150, both teams to score, but no draw in the first leg. So, all right, you're seeing some goals in the first leg, which is kind of the opposite of what I do. I always love in a first leg, especially a final, draw and under two and a half. I didn't pick that this time just to not be repetitive. But all right. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm playing tomorrow night, and it's, I think, like plus 250. Here's what I went with. Very conservative here. But I really, really like you believe in LAFC. Certainly, even if they're not going to win down in Mexico, I don't expect them to lose just because LAFC, frankly, they don't lose that much. So I'm taking tie or an LAFC win and the under three and a half. There's a ton of different plays here that would eventually cover. LAFC wins 1-0, 2-0, 3-0. good. A 0-0 covers me. A 1-1 covers me. What do you think? Plus 105 there. Tie or an LAFC win and under three and a half goals. Denny Bowanga is in the form of his life. I mean, it, he's one of the better players in CONCACAF right now, but Leon's got a very potent offense. They're a very intense team. If you can break them down, there's going to be goals on both sides. Oh, okay. Should we talk about the other team in Los Angeles? Yes. Yes. Good. The LA Galaxy. This is scenes from after the Galaxy game over the weekend. Greg Vanny. Some type of verbal back and forth there with the LA Galaxy supporters. Looked pretty intense. That met with news today from the LA Galaxy that they are indeed, after much discussion, much back and forth between the fans in the club, parting ways with embattled president Chris Klein. will be stepping down from his position in charge of the LA Galaxy. Herc, this is a topic that we have talked about 
a lot on this show. It's your former team. Chris Klein is gone. What do you say? Let me start with the video that we just witnessed. Um, that's one of the lamest things that I, that I see is when fans try to be ultras and they try to demand things of players, of, of coaches, especially in this circumstance. Because what we're seeing here is one of the supporters groups, all the supporters groups, by the way, for the LA Galaxy are boycotting, except for one. They actually negotiated with the front office to come back. And they want a word with the players. But it's not Chicharito Hernandez, it's not Ricky Puch, it's not Douglas Costa, uh, who, by the way, there's a warrant for his arrest right now in Brazil. It's not those type of players out there that they demand answers from. They want answers from players like Raheem Edwards, players like Jalen Neal, Jonathan Bond, Jovalich. They want players like Marky Delgado. The players who have nothing to do with this, who always talk, always show face, who are out there, trying to do what they can do mm -hmm. in this garbage of a situation. So that's lame, okay? Within that lameness, something happened. This video broke, went viral, and it garnered a reaction, okay? I want to, so I will give the Angel City Brigade, Brigade, Brigade excuse me, that right there. I, I wanna read you a tweet that our good friend Franco Paniso um, in Miami put out. The LA Galaxy fans with Chris Klein all season. Inner Miami fans with Phil Neville in recent weeks. Red Bull fans with Gerhard Struber. It certainly feels like the tide is turning in Major League Soccer with regards to public pressure and supporters towards team. That's growth. I could not agree more. Major League Soccer has never been important, has never had pressure in that sense. It now is. A fan-led movement demanded answers, demanded answers to their questions of why their club is going the way they're going. Now, Chris Klein. Chris Klein is an employee like anybody else in any type of corporation, any type of team, any type of anything, result-based. If you're not putting those results up, if you're not there and accountable, you could be on the line. Your job could be on the line, and that's the case here. The most sensible thing before the news dropped of Chris Klein being let go was for him to walk away, to step away. I was prepared to come on this show and ask him if he really loves and cares about this club to walk away, to step away. That is now happened. The next thing that needs to happen is there needs to be transparency because there's a lot of people, a lot of people in that organization to do a lot of things. Do what? We don't know. I don't know. Because right now, removing Chris Klein from his job, from his post, what's that going to solve? He was suspended anyways. The team can't make any moves. Guess why? Because they cheated, because Chris Klein cheated, and they got caught at cheating. They were bad at cheating. So Dan Beckerman of AEG, this isn't over. You got rid of Chris Klein. Everything's fine and dandy. The LA, LA Galaxy can go about their ways. Jovan Karofsky, he's still there, and I'm not saying he's the problem, but what does Jovan do? What has he done? Is he just a scouter, a glorified scout? Is that it? Did he found Slatan, found Chicharito, that's it? What about Will Koontz? What's he going to do? Just run the numbers? Make sure there's an actual roster in place? Greg Vanny and the unnecessary pressure that he's taken? Greg Vanny may have been one of the biggest losers in all of this because he's a very good coach and with his hands tied, he was the one absorbing the pressure and reacting in not the best way. He may be a big loser in this, and it's undeserved in my opinion. How do you move on from this? There needs to be more transparency. This isn't over. This isn't it. This is the galaxy that once was great. I mean, Dan Beckerman gave this guy an extension, Seb. An extension. He gave Chris Klein an extension after all this.
finally the pressure mounted and it was too much and it was unbearable and there was change. Sure. What do we always say on this show? We want the fans to have a voice. It's clear that they're starting to have a voice and in some big markets as well. So Galaxy fans got what they want. Hopefully they'll get uh, back in the stadium. Galaxy right now dead last in the Western Conference. Nine points from 14 games. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football America's programming note. Not back on Thursday. We are back on Friday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. And we will have an interview with Paxton Aronson, Ooh. not with the U-20s. No, he's with Eintracht Frankfurt as they get set for the German Cup Final. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on Friday.